Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Ben, for leading us here this morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Greg Peterson. I'm executive pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you here today. I want to welcome those that are listening online as well, and maybe even to the podcast as well. We want to welcome you here this morning, and glad to have you join in that way. But uh, guys, yes, I'll, I'll echo that. Happy Father's Day to you guys out there. Yes, and well, we all have fathers, so happy Father's Day to everybody, right? And um, this, this reality of, of Father's Day is similar to, to Mother's Day, that for some, it can be a uh, not-so-good feeling or remembrance um, in reality. Like Ben spoke, he said, you know, we're, we're human as, as men. We're human as fathers, and we make mistakes. And, and I know some of you have been greatly uh, influenced in a negative way because of the relationship with your earthly father. And so, uh, you know, we want to extend grace in that space here this morning and also just encouragement to uh, the men that are trying to be good fathers, right? Trying to kind of walk and, and lead and serve their families well, but reality is that we are broken inside and we make mistakes and that's okay, but to continue to, to be an encouragement to our family. Um, it's very sobering to recognize as a father that um, for all of us that um, we get our image and our foundation oftentimes of how we see God the Father through our earthly father. And that's very intimidating and very sobering for sure. Uh, but it's a reality. Oftentimes, you know, if you have uh, had a father who is distant, you, you come to God with this idea that well, God is that way too. He's, he's distant um, or he doesn't express love or he doesn't um, do um, just multitude of things. Uh, he's, you know, quick to anger or that kind of stuff. And we can see God in that way. But we can see the good and the grace when it works through us as well, that we can see the love of a father and what that means and what that can look like. And that can be an encouragement as well. But it is a sobering reality because the truth is whose house we belong to, it matters. Whose house that we are under, that we dwell with, that we live in, it shapes our lives. It shapes our identity. And it's, it's something that we, we kind of look at, especially here in Lancaster County. It's one of those things that there's a, a identification. It's kind of like, well, whose house did you grow up in? We call it the Mennonite game, right? But it's, you know, there's something there that connects us. If I can connect to your great-grandpa who knew their sister's brother and they went to the same church, all of a sudden I know that, oh, you're good people. Like, I, I know I can place you somewhere. Uh, when we first started attending here, like 15 years ago with my uh, first wife, um, that was like when we walked in, that was like, hey, who are you? Like, who's your parents? Okay, who's your grandparents? Like, let's, let's keep, let's make some kind of connection so that I can feel like, like we're, we're together in this. And fortunately for me, I grew up in the area, so, you know, my grandma actually attended this church, so I was like, good. Like, it's like, all right, you're good. You come from good folk, you know? And then it was my wife is like, okay, well, where'd she grow up? Where, who's, you know? And then, then the person found out that, oh, your grandfather was a pastor at Willow Street Mennonite Church, another local church. You're good. And actually, the, the, he, the person expressed it this way. He said, oh, she comes from good stock. I was like, well, I never really considered my wife in the same with horses and cattle, but it works. Yes, you come from a good place. 
whose house matters. It's, there's an identity to that. It's like, okay, I understand how you were raised. I understand what you know, kind of situations, what was important in that family, what they were known for, and so I know you. There's identification found in whose house we belong to. Also, whose house we belong to matters because whose house we belong to, their rules apply. And I don't know if you remember being a young adult and you remember getting your first real job after school, you know, and you're starting to make real money, which isn't a lot, but it feels a lot to you, and you're, you're starting life out, and yet you still live with mom and dad, and there's a tension that builds in that moment because you're on your own, you're independent, but guess what? Mama's house, mama's rules, right? That's right, amen, yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, we turn charismatic in here. Yeah, you know, amen, preach it, you know, bring it. Yeah, mama's house, mama's rules. Where you live, where you dwell, where you find your food, where you find your comfort, where you find your shelter, they make the rules, whether you like it or not. Mama's house, mama's rules. Daddy's house, daddy's rules. If mommy says it's daddy, you know, you know how it is. But yeah, anyway, I had to throw it in there for Father's Day somehow, but we all know, let's be honest, it's okay, it's all right. But yeah, you know what? The same is true in our spiritual life. As Christians, we say we dwell in the house of God. And what we're saying is we dwell with His house. That our identity is not found in the world around us or who we think we are. Our identity is who He says we are. The rules that we live our lives by as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, the rules, the authority comes from God. Because we say, I belong to God's house. I belong to His house. Where we dwell, what house we live in matters. It shapes our identity. It shapes how we live our lives day by day. Because whose house matters this idea of where we dwell matters. All throughout the Scripture, we can kind of read and see how God chose and was wanting to dwell with His people. In the Old Testament, uh, God chose to dwell through the tabernacle and later in the temple in the Holy of Holies where no sin could be. If a priest walked in and forgot some sin, they, they actually took a rope to his ankle just in case God would strike him down because sin and God, they don't mix. And he was in the Holy of Holies, and you had to offer animal sacrifices in order to be in fellowship with God, in, in order to belong to God, in order to dwell with God and Him with you. That was the relationship in the Old Testament. Then Jesus came and had established a new covenant and with his blood tore that veil that we can enter in. And now this Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it freaks all of us out a little bit in a way. Because I don't know about you, but I, I can, I'm okay with knowing God of the Old Testament. And the, the, like I, I can read it, I can understand it, and see his love, and see who he is. But yet there's... Um, the, I can't quite, you know, sometimes with his anger and jealousy, that's a little bit like, what do I do with all that? But, but he's a jealous God. He wants me. He wants to dwell with me. I understand it. I can, I can put that in a box. I'm good. 
Jesus, I can kind of understand him too. And I'm glad I wasn't a disciple because I don't think I would have understood what it meant to be part of his kingdom. Like, when are you going to overthrow these Romans? Like, come on, I want to be part of your kingdom. But we can look back now and say, oh, yeah, I can understand Jesus and his role and what he did. And he did what the Father was doing. And I, it makes sense and I can understand it. But then as a Christian, we get into, okay, the, 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 the Holy Spirit. And we all go a little bit like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that one. Because, you know, I don't, what does all does that mean? Like, how, how do I dwell with the Holy Spirit within me? Is that some kind of like, and especially, you know, okay, we talk about manifestations of gifts and spirit and all that. Like, what, what are you, what, what's going on here? I don't understand. Was that God? Was it something I ate? I don't know. Like, we get a little bit, like, just gun shy. And so often we stay away from looking at what it looks like to actually dwell with the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what this whole series, that's, where, that's what we're going with here in the eight weeks that Kevin and I are sharing here over the summer, of looking at this dwelling, where we dwell with the Holy Spirit and how that works out and fleshes in our lives and what that empowers us and what that enables us to do through His Spirit. It's all about knowing God. It's all about if we dwell with the Holy Spirit, we get to know God. 1 Corinthians 2.11 puts it this way. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So as we, as believers, dwell with the Holy Spirit, we will know God because the Spirit knows God. And that's the importance of this series and what we're looking at in knowing who God is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is more than just John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not die, but have everlasting life. True, it's awesome. The gospel is more than that. It goes beyond that. The gospel enables us to say, no, we're no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. I belong to a different house now. I have a different rules. I have different authority over me. I have a different, I'm choosing a different, you know, to be under a different authority because of the, what Jesus did on the cross. It's extremely important. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the end living in relationship. The cross enables us to live here right now, also in eternity, good news, but also here and now to dwell with the Heavenly Father and dwell with the Holy Spirit. It's more than just believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. James writes about this. In James 2.19, he writes, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. It's not just about believing. It's about living and choosing and dwelling in his house. John Piper in his book, God is the Gospel, articulates it well. And he says, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. If we do not want God above all things, 
we have not been converted by the gospel. The gospel is belonging to a new house. The old is gone. The new has come. It's saying, I belong to God, his identity, what he says, his rules, his authority in my life. And it's living with him. It's dwelling with him. It's not just coming to, we sing about coming to the house of the Lord. It's not this building. It's our lives that we're welcoming God into and wanting to dwell with him every, throughout the week, every thought, every feeling, all of that. In our religious language, we use the word communion. Now, when I say the word communion, what do you guys think of? Most likely, you think of what we do every other month on the first Sunday, and we take communion together, right? We share the, the bread and the cup and remember the work that Jesus did on the cross. We share in that moment, and it's called communion. But communion, when you look at the actual definition of that word, communion, by definition, is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. Communion, living in communion with the Holy Spirit is sharing or exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings. It's going through your day and being real with God and inviting Him into your daily grind. It's at the end of the day, reflecting back and saying, God, you know, thank you for this, or God, give me strength to do that better. I, I repent of the sins. It's, it's a living in communion, not just visiting the house of God. It is living in, in communion with God. In the 1600s, there was a monk called uh, Brother Lawrence. He took it on as a life mission to take this to the extreme where he wanted to share every thought, every feeling, every emotion with God throughout his day. And he, this was a man who was, uh, because of war, he was left crippled. Uh, I don't know if any of you had cyanic, uh, cyanic, sciatic, sciatic, that's a better word, sciatic nerve pain. He had chronic sciatic nerve pain. That's what he lived with all his days. He was a cook in a monastery, cooking for about a hundred men, and his desire was to share with God every thought, every feeling, every emotion all the time. And so as he's peeling potatoes, he's worshiping God, he's thinking about God, as he's doing everything, he's trying to give glory to God. And you can write about his, read about his uh, journey, and it's called Practice the Presence of God. Um, and it's, he wrote these letters to people and just this journey that he took in this. And it was kind of an amazing and encouraging story. But it was, it's how he chose and how we should live our lives, really, in communion and dwelling with God in that way. Because oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about God's presence, we say, well, okay, like, what do you mean I need more, more of God or more of His presence? Like, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. We sing some of those songs that we sing. Like, what am I saying? Like, God is everywhere. Like, what am I, what am I even verbalizing in those moments? And what we're doing in those moments is saying, God, you're here, but I want more of you in my life. I'm asking for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Yes, God already dwells in me, but I want more. I want more of my surrender to your spirit. I want more of my life surrendering to your authority, to your ways, to what you want in my life, how you want me to respond in this conversation, 
how you want to, me to lead and serve my family, Lord, I want you spurring that on daily, my thoughts, my feelings, everything. I want my mind to be on you and coming your thoughts to become my thoughts. Romans 8, Paul writes about this in Romans 8, 5 through 6. He writes, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We have a choice. God's presence gives us a choice, demands a choice, of whose mind are we using. Is there a mind of ourselves and our selfish nature? The mind of the world around us, the influence of the world around, around us? Or is it the mind of Christ? Because here's the reality. We are all slaves to something. We are all slaves to something. We must choose, I would say daily, <laughs> probably even more than daily. Even as a Christian says, hey, I, yeah, I've been following Christ for years. We still need to choose daily whose house we belong to, whose control are we under, who, what are we really a slave to. And, you know, that flies in the face of especially in our culture here today, um, in Western American culture, like, no, free will, like, you are your own person, like, don't let anyone define you, 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 and it's this, you know, the gospel flies in the face of that and says, you know what, no, we belong to him, and it's his authority, and I'm a slave to God, I belong to him, and I choose to follow him and let him shape my life. Free will is really only choosing which master you're going to follow. We all make that choice. We all make that choice. And really, honestly, the, the devil doesn't care if we decide if it's him, something else, money, our careers, ourselves, whatever. He doesn't care what it is as long as it's not God. And we need to choose. We need to choose his way or our way. It's a daily choice for all of us to choose to dwell in his house we see this, it's been an internal fight within all of us, all the way back, all throughout scriptures and back through Adam and Eve, you know, who saw it's like, oh, yeah, there's a chance that I could be like God. I want to be like God. So, he, you know, they did it. Joshua, you know, he makes this famous stand that we're always, you know, using. It's probably on a, you know, a, a picture at home somewhere. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's giving that out. Jesus, we, we, he talks about this in that we can only serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God. In his case, he says God and money. You're selfish, you're, your own ability to supply your needs. We can't serve two masters. We can only serve one. We are all a slave to something Paul in the New Testament uses illustrations about our relationship to the Holy Spirit. And he uses two kind of stories or two kind of images. Uh, the one he uses is slavery, you know, being a slave to the sin, a slave to, to God. And then he also then takes it one step further. And because we're slaves to God and under him, we actually become heirs and become children of God. Um, and he, he paints that picture. The other picture that is painted is one of prostitution. 
of that if, if we who are designed to be image barriers of God follow someone else and are mastered by something else, we are prostituting ourselves to something that unworthy of what we are called to live. Even here at GPC, our, one of our core values is at the, at the beginning of the day and at the middle of the day and at the end of the day, God is in charge and what He wants goes. That's how we're, we verbalize it as a, as a people that want to assemble here. Of like, you know what? God is God. He's in control and what He wants goes. His way is what we're looking for. He's in charge. We're living under His authority. Some believers um, live a life with God as an influential part of their life, an important part of their life, but not necessarily the center of their life. And there's a danger in this. There's a, if you picture a hub and all the, the spokes of a wheel, there's, you know, you want to keep your, your work balanced good. You want to keep your family balanced good. You want to keep your, your religion, church, your relationship with God good. You have these, all these spokes, your career, all this stuff you want to keep, you know. And if everything is kind of balanced good, your health, your emotional health, you know, life rolls along pretty good. If you keep all that stuff, you know, in good balance. But the reality is in that we are still the hub, we are still the center, and we, we say, okay, well, God, I'll allow some of your stuff in, and what I feel is good, like if there's things that I agree with and feel are beneficial to me, I'll go ahead and take those, and that's important, and yeah, you know, but to, to make Him the center is what God is looking for in all of us. That's the relationship. He wants to dwell with us through the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to be that center, to be that, Jesus talks about that living water, that, that fountain that never runs dry, to be that source of all of our emotions, our thought, to be totally just surrendered to who He is. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you, this is going to date some of you, how many of you have, know this picture, have seen this picture? Yeah? Yeah, actually, a good bit of you, yeah. I don't know, for, for me, it was in my grandma's basement uh, kind of thing, and I remember it hanging there, and it'll come back to us here. That's company on my end, not yours, guys. Um, the, the picture of Jesus standing at the door, and he's knocking, and, you know, the, notice there's no handle on the outside, like Jesus can't force his way in. You have to let him in, and there's this, you know, the verse that kind of goes with it. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, that person, and they with me. And I remember growing up, I always thought this meant for, for unbelievers to come to Christ, that, that, that Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts as unbelievers, and we can let him in and, and come in, and it's true. I mean, that's probably why, partly why I believed it, hopefully, because it is true um, that this is what this is saying, that, that Jesus is there, he's knocking, and he's, he's willing to have a relationship with anyone, and that the, the gospel is open to anyone for him to come and dwell. But this morning, I want to look a little bit deeper into the context of where this verse comes from and the surrounding verses. Because sometimes when we look at the context, we find a deeper meaning than maybe what just the verse itself says. This verse is kind of near the end of a section in Revelations 
Um, and so if you can, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Revelations 3. Uh, we'll start at verse 14. If you have a version app on your phone, Revelations 3, 14. Um, we want to look at this a little bit deeper and look at the context of where this comes from. Um, and hopefully it will be um, good for all of us. So just to set up the, the, the bigger picture, not even just looking at the, the passage it comes from, just the setting of this picture. Yeah, um, you know, you, you, yeah we're, we're talking about, we're doing a whole uh, series. I joked with Kevin here a little earlier. We joked with, um, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And we're also going to preach out of Revelation, like, you know, while Tim's not here. So, you know, that, yeah, what can go wrong, right? But no, we are, we're looking at Revelation, and we are, um, this, is, this was written about 60 years after Jesus died. So the early church is, is just being established here. Uh, this is in the church of Laodicea, a certain area. This area was extremely wealthy. Um, it was a trade oriented area, so a lot of buying and selling was going on, and that's how they made their money, and a very wealthy area during this time. And it was under this um, time that they were under a, a Roman emperor. And, and just as a side note, do you know that there's one emperor that did not, I mean, who stayed 19 all of their lives, that did not, you know, go past 19? You know that? His name was Constantine. Constantine, Constant. Come on. It, it, that was from Kevin, by the way. He shared that with me this morning. I'm like, man, I'm actually using a Roman emperor this morning. I could, I'm like, yeah, but I won't. But, so you can thank Kevin for that truth being put out to you. Uh, the Roman, Roman emperor at that time was not Constantine, it was some other D name I can't pronounce actually, um, because I don't know how to. The, he was um, the, one of the first ones to actually consider himself God. Um, other times, like once they died, then everyone around him would consider them God, but he was the, one of the first ones to say, no, I, I am God, and I need you to acknowledge that and worship me for that. And actually, you know, and the way that I want you to do that is you, you couldn't even, you'd get persecuted if you would not acknowledge him as God, and you couldn't buy or trade. Um, that, that was, you couldn't do it uh, without acknowledging that he was God. And so obviously for the early church, this gave a conundrum. Uh, you know, what do we do with this? How do we live here? How do we live in this? And there was a loophole. If you were a Jew... You didn't have to, you could still worship your God. You didn't have to acknowledge him as God if you were a Jew. So that was great, except for as the early church was growing, it was growing with more and more Gentiles. And so as the church began to shift from a Jewish majority, it became a Gentile majority, and it lost its exclusion or exemption from needing to identify him as a God. So that's the setting. That's when this is being written to this church. That's kind of the, where they're at in their culture right now. So we look at Revelations 3, 14. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. 
that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined from me, gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And then here's our verse. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This message, this familiar verse, is set in the context not to unbelievers, but to believers. To people who are saying, I'm following Jesus' way. Like, I'm, I'm following Jesus' way even enough to be persecuted. It's written to the church. And he's saying, you know, I want to be everything. I want to be all. I don't want to share authority with anyone else. I want you to, I want to dwell with you. I want to come in. I want to dwell with you. There's this, this emotional exchange there in, in one sentence. He's, you know, hey, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Like, I can't stand you being lukewarm, trying to be like, well, am I going to be in this house or in this house? Like, I, no, like, choose one or the other. But then there's this loving, just presence of, here I am. All you have to do is open up the door. And I'll dwell with you. And I will be with you. Guys, it's, it's not about, I don't want this morning to, at all to feel like you need to do more, you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more, you know, you need to, you know, this weight of guilt. I want it to be filled with the idea that this is the love of Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and saying, I want it all. I want to come in and I want to dwell with you. I want to sit and eat with you. I want to give you life that is fuller than any life that you can live. And we're, as this series continues, we're going to be looking more into what the Spirit living, this life and dwelling with Him, what that does in us and through us and empowers us to do. But it starts with this beginning of choosing and saying, yes, I want to dwell in your house. So the question this morning is, whose house do you belong to? And before you just skip over and give the Sunday school answer of like, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Be real with yourself a little bit. It's okay. Does he have complete authority in my life? Are his ways my ways, his thoughts my thoughts? Am I aware of his presence throughout my day, throughout the struggles that I have, throughout the the things that pull at my heart, is, is he an influential part of my life or is he the center of my life where everything can flow out of? Am I dwelling with him? 
Am I asking forgiveness? And so at the end of the day, when I know I've blown it, am I coming back to him and saying, God, I come to your throne of grace again, fallen. But I want more of you, and I want less of me. I want to dwell with you, to have him as our dwelling place. It's his rules, his authority, his identity, who he says we are. And sharing with him every thought, feeling, and emotion as we go throughout our days. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to and desire to dwell with you. And Lord, we just confess there are many times where we become our own God. And we never say that, but we, it's real and it's true. And we, we do the things that we want to do. We excuse them in many different ways. But Lord... Uh, Lord, we just desire to be in your house, uh, dwelling with you, taking on the identity that you give us through the work that Jesus did on the cross, opening up that door and saying, come dwell in my heart and lead me. And Lord, we're going to spend some time here, and I just invite you through your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives right here right now as we just sit here in a moment before you speak to us Lord in this place Father, we are just so grateful that you desire to, to have an intimate, real, active relationship with us here. And we look forward to spending eternity with you where there is no sin tripping us up and there is nothing clouding our view of you. But Lord, until then, Lord, we are grateful that your grace covers us. And that we can choose to dwell in your house where there is so much joy, so much richness, so much blessing beyond our ability to fathom, so much peace that comes with dwelling with you. We thank you for being a God who wants to dwell with us. In Jesus' name I pray.